In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the way, Saint Josemaria writes, in Christ we have every ideal, for he is King, he is God, he is love. And we can begin our prayer by adoring our Lord. You, Jesus, are our King, you are our God, and you are our love. You are our every ideal. And in the way of the cross, in the contemplation of your passion, we come to terms with what it means to say that you are our King, our God, and our love. As we accompany you towards the cross, we come to realize what kind of kingship is yours, what kind of God you are, and how great is your love. It's so helpful for us to contemplate the Lord in his passion. It, it really gives life to our soul, and it gives us the strength to try and respond to such a great love. And there are many ways, as we know, of contemplating Jesus in his passion, especially during Lent. The way of the cross, which is what these meditations are based around, bearing in mind the publication of the way of the cross of St. Rosemaria Escriva 40 years ago, doing the way of the cross in our church, in our parish, or at home, or wherever, um, brings to life who is our King, our God, and our love who you are, Lord Jesus. We come to know you intimately through the reality of your passion. Of course, we can also contemplate um, our Lord and his immense love by contemplating on or praying the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, contemplating our Lord's passion through the eyes of Mary or through the heart of Mary. I mean, there's no better way to know Jesus than through Mary. I mean, even in human terms, to get to know somebody, they, they always say that, and it's true. If you want to really know somebody, well, talk to their mother. And that's what we do in, 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 in the rosary. We can contemplate our Lord's love, his passion also, of course, in many other devotions, such as the Sacred Heart of Jesus, or the Merciful Love, or the Divine Mercy or the wounds of Christ, or indeed the crucifix, or devotion to the cross, to the crucifix. All of these uh, show us the person of our Lord, and they're all different avenues, or I don't know, how would you say, um, approaches to contemplating our Lord. And one of the ways also, which is very beautiful and powerful, to contemplate Jesus in his passion, and which is also reverenced, uh, sorry, referenced in the way of the cross by St. Josemaria, are the songs of the suffering servant, those extraordinary passages 
in uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, which foretell uh, the passion. Uh, they are very beautiful and very moving. And in them we can discern the face of our Lord and the heart of our Lord. Let's begin by meditating on Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or beauty that we should look at him, no comeliness that we should, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. This man of sorrows. Jesus, we, we want to contemplate you now as a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows who redeems with his sorrow and through his sorrow, by his wounds, by his stripes, we have been healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. It's good for us, isn't it, to meditate on this suffering of the suffering servant, this love of Jesus, which is vicarious suffering, we might say. He's making up for our sins. He's redeeming us. He's carrying our burdens. In that sense, it is vicarious. He's like the vicar, as it were, for all our sufferings. Lord, may I never be hard-hearted in regard to your suffering. As St. Josemaria says, let's not just read about the life of Christ, or let's not just read about the passion of Jesus. We actually want to live it like the saints did, like St. Josemaria did. It may or may not you know, involve an emotional response on our part, meditating on the passion. It may or may not. Um, but may it involve a deep spiritual response. No matter how I feel, Lord, I know that you loved me and that you gave yourself up for me, as St. Paul says to the Galatians. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Lord, I ask you in this meditation to give me some understanding of your sorrows, which for me are healing sorrows, this vicarious satisfaction, this vicarious suffering that you carry out on my behalf, on our behalf. It's extraordinary. By his wounds, we have been healed. What does that mean? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to help us to understand it. How could we be healed by any, per, by any other person's wounds? What's the level of communion, union between Jesus and us that we are healed by his wounds? What does that mean?
um, the venerable um, Fulton Sheen has a story where I think he tries to, um, I suppose, to understand this concept, you know, of our being healed by the wounds of another. How could somebody suffer so much for our sins, not for their own? And he speaks somewhere of the mother of a man, and this man had done a lot of bad things, really bad things. And his mother really suffered as a result of that. She was shamed. She was suffering. She was carrying his iniquities, you might say. And even though she had no reason whatsoever uh, to be suffering, she was. And, and why was that? Because she loves her son so much. She has that uh, intimate union with him. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, it's a simile, it's a metaphor. We don't fully understand the mystery of of the suffering of Jesus, but it would seem to be that, you know, that our Lord willingly bears his wounds out of love for us. He's so united to us. He's so close to us. Lord, may I never be blasé or casual about your sufferings or superficial. During Lent, let us enter into the mystery of the suffering servant as as depicted to us by uh, by Isaiah. In the way of the cross, um, in some points of meditation on the uh, on the thirteenth station, Saint Josemaria um, lists, if you like, some of the sorrows of Jesus in his passion. We can meditate on them now in our own time. He came to save the world and his own denied him before Pilate. He showed us the path to goodness and they drag him along the way to Calvary. He gave example in everything he did and they prefer a thief convicted of murder. He was born to forgive and without cause they condemn him to the gallows. He came across, he came along the paths of peace and they declare war on him. He brought love and they repay him with hatred. He came to be king and they crown him with thorns. He became a slave to free us from sin and they nail him to the cross. He took flesh to give us life and we reward him with death. Well, points like that um, in the book, The Way of the Cross by St. Rosemaria, they deserve really to be meditated on calmly in our own time. And yet uh, we can see how the founder of the work very uh, clearly uh, explains to us the sorrows of our Lord. Lord, your heart is not um, a clinical cold heart abstracted from us. As Vatican II says, Jesus worked with human hands and with a human heart he loved. And not only that, but Lord, you continue to love us now with a human heart. And it is a great mystery for me. I find it hard to understand. And yet I would like to understand something of your vicarious suffering, how you suffer for me, for us. Because the more I understand that, the more I'll be able to love you. And please God, the more I will grow in my own um, holiness, 
the more aware I am of God's love for me. It's never a waste of time to dwell on our Lord's love for us. It's never a waste of time to meditate on the passion because that gives us the strength we need to keep growing, to grow in in gratitude um, and in love for our Lord. Apparently there's a little church in Germany which above the main altar has a most unusual crucifix, wooden, life-sized, like every other crucifix, except the arms of Christ are held out in front of his chest as if they were embracing somebody. They're not nailed back to the beams of uh, the cross. His arms are like forming a circle in front of his chest. And there's a pious legend behind uh, the origin of that crucifix that several centuries ago the crucifix there in that church was normal uh, like any other crucifix and one day uh, a thief broke in to the church looking for anything of value Um, he hadn't many scruples really he clambered up on the altar because he saw that on this crucifix there was a beautiful crown which was made of precious metals and had some jewels in it. So up he went on his boots onto the altar and stretched out his hand to grab um, the crown from Christ's head. And the legend or the tradition is that at that moment, the arms of Christ detached themselves from the beams of the cross and, as it were, grabbed the thief, encircled the thief and went around him. And the thief, of course, was utterly shocked and disconcerted and stunned. Uh, And then he tried to wriggle himself free from the embrace of of Jesus. But he couldn't. He found himself trapped there. And there was no escaping. And as he was there, he found that his face was right in front of Christ's face on the cross. And that he was looking into our Lord's eyes. And our Lord was looking into his eyes, into his heart. And he realised in that moment all the bad things he had done and the connection between his sins and the suffering of Jesus on the cross so that he started weeping himself. And the story goes that when people arrived early in the morning for Mass, they saw this amazing sight of Christ embracing the thief and the thief embracing Christ. Um, it's a story certainly that that explains very well the link between your crucifixion, Lord, your passion, your way of the cross, and my life, the life of each one of us, because we are sinners, and somehow our sins contribute to the passion of our Lord. It's not just a metaphor. There's more to it than that. Like we could say that the cross is essential to the biography of Christ, but the cross is also very much part of my own biography. I can't understand myself, my past, my present or my future without looking at our Lord. It's only in your wounds, Lord, in your sufferings, in your sorrow, that I actually get the the key to understanding my own life and my own destiny. In the first letter of St. Peter, 
um, the apostle refers again to the sorrows of Jesus, his wounds, and how he suffers vicariously for us. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. That's an echo really, isn't it, of the um, prophecy of Isaiah. And Peter finishes by saying, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It can be good uh, for us to meditate on our Lord's passion, bearing in mind the shepherd, the good shepherd. Um, because uh, in scripture and in the liturgy, we do contemplate the shepherd who dies for his sheep and also the good shepherd who rises from the dead. That's also present in the Easter liturgy. St. Peter says, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Well, who is this shepherd? Um, well, our Lord himself identifies himself as being the shepherd. But not just any shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's extraordinary. Maybe those words just kind of brush over us because we've heard them so often. But what kind of a shepherd dies for his sheep? I mean, that's totally mad. It's disproportionate. It is, uh, to paraphrase St. Jose Maria, a craziness of love or a crazy love. It, make no, it makes no sense. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Our Lord says it twice in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. He lays down his life for the sheep. This is it. This is the meaning of the man of sorrows. His sorrows become the source of our joy. His death brings us life. His sufferings bring us healing. And this mystery, of course, is made present every day in the Mass, in the Holy Sacrifice, in the Crucifixion, sorry, the Crucifixion which is made present in the Consecration, the body which is broken and given to us, the blood which is poured out and given to us for the remission of sins, for our salvation. Every time we take part in the Mass, uh, we're plunged into this great paradox of our Lord's death being our life, our Lord's sorrows being our joy, our Lord's wounds being our health. It's amazing. I suppose all the fruitfulness of the Passion is uh, of the Good Shepherd's sufferings is made present for us in Psalm 23. Such a beautiful psalm and, and one we could pray at any time. But we could pray it bearing in mind the Passion of our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Well, yes, indeed, Lord, through your sufferings, through your sorrows, you brought me the still waters of purification, of baptism, of new life. You lead me to the green pastures of salvation, the green pastures of a true and sure hope. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, Lord, even if I go through tough times in my life, as we all do inevitably, um, we're not alone. You've been there before us. When we're suffering, when we're really suffering, probably there's no formula of words that helps us that much. But the ultimate answer really is just to quietly look at the crucifix. That says it all. Um, that says the whole wisdom, the whole science of God is there. So when we do find it tough, maybe that's a time to, to reach for the crucifix, to be quiet before the crucifix, to let our Lord speak to us, to realise that Jesus on the cross is such a manifestation of God that in there we, we have all the answers. We have the, the hermeneutic key, if you like, to, to understand even that great suffering we might be going through. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is overflowing. The Holy Eucharist. The sharing in Christ's passion and resurrection, which is a fruit of the cross, which is not just the fruit of the cross, but actually the making present of the cross. All these elements of the psalm of the Good Shepherd are fruits of our Lord's sufferings. Um, they are what you achieve, Lord Jesus, through your self-giving love. You anoint my head with oil, my cup is overflowing. Here there are references to the sacraments of baptism and confirmation and ordination all these actions of self-giving of God, making himself present in the world, anointing us, making us holy, making him belong, making us belong to him. All of that, all the sacraments, are fruits of the Lord's passion. There, his passion lived out in history, I suppose. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, ultimately, isn't that uh, the ultimate fruit of your passion, Lord? Heaven. Through your sufferings, you open up for each one of us who wishes it um, the gate to eternal life. And that's the, uh, that's the beauty of your sorrows. That's the prize of your sufferings. There's a story told quite often about a, an actor who uh, attended a function in his parish for his pastor. His pastor was celebrating a, an important jubilee, maybe 50 years in the ministry or something like that. And uh, this actor was a parishioner and he went along to the function and um, there's a good crowd there. And um, at a certain point, uh, somebody said to the actor, well, what if, will you perform something, you know, Give us a, a bit of an, an oration or a speech or a recitation, you know, to, to honour the, uh, the pastor. And, um, and he asked the pastor, well, 
um, what what will I do? What will I what will I what will I say? And the pastor said, Well, why don't you say um, Psalm twenty three? Recite that Psalm, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. And the actor said, I will, I'll do that, Reverend, on condition that you do it after me. So I'll say the Psalm, but I want you to say it after me. Um, so the pastor agreed, and the actor, the well-known actor, began reciting the Psalm, and. He did it with, you know, he had all the, the talent and the training to declaim it really, really well. And people were impressed by his diction and, you know, how he how he said it. And it was very good. Um, and there was a big round of applause when he finished. And then the actor said immediately, now, I, I, I want the pastor, I want you to say the psalm. So the pastor did say the psalm. He said it quietly and naturally um, and slowly. And people were extremely moved by that. And at the end, there was no applause. There was just silence, silence. And the actor said, you see the difference? I know the Sam. He knows the shepherd. So, Lord, help me to know you, you who are the good shepherd, the shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And help me to... um, to reverence and love your sorrows, to reverence and love your body, uh, which is broken for me, to reverence and love your blood, which is poured out for me. Uh, How can we reverence the body of Jesus? There are so many ways, but maybe that's something we could finish our prayer with, is how can we make reparation or show our love for this body of Christ which has been wounded to heal us how can I reverence the body of the Lord we might think of that sinner woman uh, we hear about her in the gospel of Luke who, who goes in to the house of the Pharisee while there's a meal going on and she she braves the accusing stares of the of the people around her who are just what's she doing here judging her regarding her as unclean she makes her way to her Lord and places herself at his feet and washes his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair, which is, when you think about it, an extraordinary thing to do. And one gets the sense that she is preparing this body of Christ, which will be so abused and ill-treated in the Passion. In anticipation of that, she's like, making the reparation that wasn't made at the time of the Passion. She's making it in advance. She has that sensitivity of soul, that intuition, which leads her to reverence this body, the wounds of which are going to heal us. And she somehow understands. We, 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 well, we don't know what she understands, of course, but why is she doing this? She must have some understanding between, of the link between what our Lord who our Lord is and what he's going to suffer and her own sins and our own sins. So how can you and I reverence the body of our Lord? Well, certainly in the Eucharist, trying to love our Lord very much in the Eucharist, in the Mass, in the Blessed Sacrament, in adoration. Even uh, maybe now we're doing our prayer not in the church, but in our own room or in our office or in our car. Well, from where we, wherever we are, we can unite ourselves now with the nearest tabernacle 
or the tabernacle in our parish or, or the tabernacles of the world, the real living Christ, the body broken for us, the blood poured out for us, and now the risen body present in, in the Holy Sacrament, in the Eucharist. We can reverence your body, Lord Jesus, too, also by reverencing your church. The church is the mystical body of our Lord. So our love for the church, from the Pope right down to the most recently baptised member of the church, our love is a love for the body of Christ, for the mystical body. And we, we can pray now, pray for the church of God, which is the mystical body. And we reverence the body of Christ also in one another, in people, especially in the poor, in the needy, those who are, um, who are suffering. In our prayer right now, we reach out to them. We embrace them. We embrace the body of Christ. We touch his wounds, as Pope Francis might say, in the suffering members of his body, who are many, very many. We finish our contemplation of this mystery as we see that 13th station when Jesus is laid in the arms of his Blessed Mother. We can think of the Pietà, that beautiful sculptor uh, of Michelangelo in Rome, the Pietà, the mother holding uh, the body of her crucified son. We could probably meditate for a long time on the Pietà, on that station, the 13th station, of Mary holding the body of Christ, of reverencing the body of Christ. I suppose in Bethlehem, when she clothed him in those swaddling cloths, Our Lady also was reverencing the body of Christ. We finish our prayer turning to you, our Blessed Mother, Mother of Sorrows and Mother of Hope. And we ask you to help us to have a deep understanding, or at least a deeper understanding, of the fact that by your Son's wounds we have been healed. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.